Welcome to the Vu Church Podcast. It has been said that love is the most powerful force in the world. But what happens when the weight of everyday life closes in? Is love truly enough to last? Today, we're kicking off a new collection of talks by Rich and Don Cherie, Living Together, The Realities of Relationship. It's one thing to love someone. It's another thing to live with them. Over the next six weeks, we'll explore the fundamentals of relationships and practical tools for finding longevity in love. To discover collection resources, visit vuchurch.com slash together. Now let's lean into the message, the motivation of marriage. Well, as you can see, uh, for the next few weeks, Don Shree and I are going to attempt to kind of tag team preach as we bring this brand new collection to you, talking really all things uh, relationships. And uh, last year around this season, uh, I preached off a book I wrote called Single and Secure. Uh, But in that message and that collection's importance, it's valuable. And we're going to, I promise you, we're going to talk to single, but we're going to talk to everybody. But I really want to try to put some emphasis for the next few weeks on the power of marriage. Um, I want to make sure that we're helping strengthen relationships in this house. You know, we live in a world today that is just trying to get people to quit left and right. And uh, you come in here for some counterculture news. You come in this place to get some truth. And so today we want to start with Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Going to read some verses and then we're going to do our best to uh, go back and forth. How many out there, you had a great Valentine's Day? Anyone just have a terrible Valentine's Day? Where are you? You're out of town. Okay, I was like, man, your wife is sitting right there. She didn't get me chocolates. I'm like, dude, chill, chill. No, I'm kidding. Um, We were actually away from each other on Valentine's Day. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. I can't remember what. Yeah, I know, right? Well, we'll pray What's going on Valentine's Day? It's okay, I'm a great husband. And so. uh, (laughs) I'm like trying to think what day Valentine's Day was. No, you're we had We had a beautiful weekend yes. before. It was a very romantic. No, you went to the revival, which was wonderful. Yeah, that's a very, you know, like. It's a very great thing. God wonderful. First. God yeah. first. It's been a fast week. Waylon, you know, she's been up in the night. Yeah. It's been a beautiful week of romance. You are so beautiful. It's sickening. I love like, you. Like, I'm really into you. I love you so, so much. It's going to be hard. Okay, let's preach. It's going to be hard. It's going to be very difficult. It's going to be very, very What's difficult. What's our text? Genesis chapter 2. Okay, great. You want right. to read it? Yes, I'm going to read it, okay. and then I'm going to kiss you. No, I'm kidding. All right. <laughs> Genesis 2. If this is annoying, don't come back next week. I promise you, it's only going to intensify. All right. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says this. It says, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. So I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. Now, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become 
one flesh. Someone say one flesh. One flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, yo. Naked. And they felt no shame. And uh, I want to take this text there. We want to take this text today. And I want to just preach week one. We want to preach week one. Uh, and we've titled today's talk, The Motivation of Marriage. The Motivation of Marriage. Yeah, let's pray together. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. God, thank you that you, uh, you created marriage. Lord, you created relationship. And so, God, you are the answer. And we just love you. We look to you. God, I pray for people that have walked in with heavy hearts yes. today. Lord, that they would find uh, hope in this house. God, that they would open up their hearts to you. God, that where there are walls in people's hearts, that they would choose to take them down. Lord, that we would just uh, be transformed by the power of your spirit. God, we love you and we thank you for this day. Come on, and all of you church said? Oh, come on, all of you church said? Amen. I really am so excited to start this new collection. And like Rich said, the collection is called Living Together. Rich and I have known each other for 21 years now. We've been living together for 16 years. And how many of you know, like, when we talk about relationship, there are a lot of realities of relationship that you don't realize until you're actually living together. Like, there are a lot of people that I love, not a lot of them I can live with. Just because you love someone, loving someone is very different from living together. Now, I love just the wise poet and sage from the great state of Texas, George Strait. He said, I know she still loves me, but I don't think she likes me anymore. I think when you start to live together and you start to become comfortable with one another, all of a sudden you can look at your marriage and you can go, okay, um, the reality of this relationship is not exactly what I had in mind when I said I do. Have you ever been there before? If you've been married, you've been there before. That this isn't exactly what I imagined this thing was gonna be like. I mean, the wedding was so much fun to plan but the marriage is a little bit different. Like the bachelorette party, man, I could live with my 10 girlfriends forever, but this one man, this is different. And we can laugh, but we've all been there in relationship. This looks a lot different than what I actually imagined. I think for all the women in the room, like when we get married, we can look at the husband and say like, oh, I I am marrying a man who just loves to listen to me. He's just waiting for me to bear my heart. He wants to lean in and listen and just, yes, just so find empathy with what I'm walking through. I wanna marry a man who's so patient, who's just gentle. I wanna marry a man who, he has ambition, but man, it is tempered with contentment. He lives in the moment, he's present, and he's engaged, and and then you get married and you're like, oh my goodness, my husband doesn't listen at all. He's not patient, he doesn't know what gentleness is, he either doesn't work at all or he is a workaholic. This is a little bit 
different. Is this, is this your experience you're preaching from or this is a hypothetical, my God. I, I, I would say to that person, I think that you had a fantasy, not a dream, okay? Because um, we could just go right back because ladies, just, uh, you know, every man who gets married, they are just absolutely sure. Yo, I'm fixing to get married. And that means I'm gonna have sex all the time. Whenever I want it, sex on demand, every minute, all day. That's how guys think. This is about to go down. I married this girl. She's an epic entrepreneur, plus she's a domestic goddess. The house is going to be perfect. She's going to be working all the time. But then we're like kind of shocked when it's like she's just tired. Like a lot. Like always tired. Tired, Have bro. you ever I'm carried tired. a human being in your body? It makes you tired. I mean, I know you guys love you love marathons, but I've run three marathons that lasted nine months, not just a day. It's, it's uh, ladies, you know what I'm talking about? It's a different, it's a different, different deal. Look at women turning on their pastor right here. It's amazing. <laughs> But I think on both sides, like we, we can't help but have a fantasy. And it, it, it's a dangerous place when you have a fantasy of what marriage looks like. And the collection that we're stepping into, we're talking about the realities of relationship. What is the reality of not just loving someone, but living with someone day to day, the ins and outs, the pressures of life, the highs and the lows, what does it actually look like? And if you're not careful, you can just be so tied to that picture of the dream and the fantasy that you miss out on what God wants to do on a day-to-day basis in your relationship. The truth is, real relationship takes real work. If you don't understand that, there's an awakening, but also an invitation. Because if you're willing to put in the work, you can have a really great marriage. The way that you can have a really great marriage is by first and foremost putting God in the center. This is God's story. So today we're looking to the framework of God's word to see his plan for our marriages. A lot of times we can look at marriages and go, oh, that person, that couple, man, there's just something special about their marriage. They seem to have it all together. What's their secret? We've all wondered that. How do they they balance all the things? How do they love each other through so many seasons? How do they function raising kids and all the extracurriculars and all the different things? Like, what's their secret? You want to know what their secret is? It's God's word. Mm. It's God's word. And today, we're diving headfirst in what God's word says about marriage. I think it's such an important starting point because I meet so many people that want tips and tricks and little methods and... Hopefully, we're going to give you the things that we've learned in our 21 years of dating, our 16 years of marriage. But before we can get there, we've always got to start with the Word of God. It's wild. Most of us have heard this stat, but 50% of marriages end in divorce. What's really crazy is that same stat shows up in the church. What's going on? How, how is that possible? And I wonder if the reason why is because too many people don't have a deep enough revelation around marriage. Uh, this past week, two of my favorite people in our church community, uh, Jamila and Dawn, got engaged. And they were at our South Miami location this morning, and Jamila helped us start the church. She's one of the pastors here on our team. She oversees outreach. She's an amazing woman of God. And Dawn came to meet with me this past week to, to ask for my blessing uh, marrying Jam. I've been doing life with Jam for 15 years, I feel like. And uh, he came into my office and we had a really great man-to-man conversation. But I think in many ways, I would love for you to know where I started with Don because 
Uh, yeah, we talked about all sorts of things, and I have questions for him, but, but long before I talked to him about conflict resolution, long before I said, before you go to bed, make sure you're not angry, long before I asked him what his 10-year vision was, long before I said, what's the budget? I said, Don, do you have a theology for marriage? Do you understand that God instituted it? Do you know why God created marriage? See, we all have to ask ourselves the question, whether we're single, whether we're married, whether we're trying to keep this thing alive, we have to ask ourselves the question, what is motivating my marriage? What's the motivation of it? What's driving me forward? Vision's a powerful thing. Vision is the destination, but motivation is the transportation. So we all need to know where we're headed, but then we have to go, what's driving me? What's moving me? That is the why to your marriage. I have this love-hate relation with my car. Uh, when I turned 17 years of age, my parents got me a brand new 2001 uh, Jeep Wrangler. It is now uh, 21 years old. And it's a love-hate, because it's, it's, like, it's like Paul's thorn in his flesh. That's what the Jeep is for me. Uh, for some reason, I, I haven't gotten rid of it, and I, I love it because I've got so many great memories with it, but pray for this Jeep. I mean, because it's like, that's what it needs. It's been to the car doctor more than you could ever imagine. Um, it genuinely takes me praying in the spirit for me to reach my destination. <laughs> Recently, I've had to uh, forbid its access onto I-95. It just can't go on anymore. It's just, it's, it's too much. And if you came to me after service and said, hey, Rich, let's take a road trip to Los Angeles. Let's drive there. Let me tell you what I wouldn't do. I wouldn't go and grab the Jeep Wrangler because the Jeep Wrangler cannot get us to LA. It's going to break down. Marriage is a long distance road trip. And I hope the thing that's driving your marriage doesn't break down on you. You have to ask yourself, what is motivated? What's gonna carry us? If you don't know why you're married and if you don't know why you should stay married, I promise you, you're going to fall apart. You're gonna need something bigger and something deeper. It's gotta be motivated from God. It was Jesus who said in Mark chapter 10, what God has united, let no man separate. Because marriage was not man's idea. Marriage was God's idea. And as we kick off this conversation for the next six weeks, every one of us, especially those of us that are married but that want to get married, is my marriage self-centered or is my marriage God-centered? Because if it's self-centered, meaning it's for my happiness, it's for my pleasure, it's because we just have all the same hobbies and we both love the color blue, it's because she turns me on or he turns me on. I'm telling you what, when you find yourself in the challenges of life, when you find yourselves out in the middle of the journey, that motivation will break down on you. But if it's God-centered, when times get difficult, you're gonna recognize this marriage, it is not unto me, it is for the glory of God, and it is to be a witness to a lost and dying world that God's at the center of this thing. I'm gonna say something that's very unpopular that you won't get at just any secular marriage conference. This is what separates the church. This is very, very important you hear me. I want you to hear this. When it comes to your marriage, the motivating factor to your marriage is not your spouse. It has to be God. Did you hear what I just said? Because I'm gonna try, we're going to try for the next 30 minutes now to, to make this come alive to you. The motivating factor in your marriage cannot be your spouse. It has to be God. God 
is the thing that must motivate our marriages. And the question for us is, what is currently motivating our marriage? Like Rich said, this is a collection for everyone. Whatever season of life you're in, if you're single in this room next week, we're talking about choosing your spouse. Like if you are in a season of brokenness, we're gonna speak to healing and restoration. This is for everyone. But even as I ask what's motivating your marriage, we can talk about the motivation for relationship. The first thing we have to understand is that according to God's word, God's mystery is motivating our marriage. Mm. God's mystery. You say, Don Sheree, that sounds mysterious. You're right, it is. Because marriage is mysterious. There is a mystery layer upon layer where for the rest of our life, we will be walking together while getting to know each other as we both pursue God. And I've walked with this man for 21 years, but I'm still getting to know him because he's not the man that I met when we were 17 years old. Much he's better. Cha- much he's much better. Much better. Actually, that's true. I'm like a fine that's line. very true. Don't give up on me, girl. Just, listen. If you leave, I'm leaving with you. <laughs> I love you. No, it's, you're different. I'm different. We've changed. And if I'm just focusing on creating a marriage that fits the man who was 17 years old when we met, I'm gonna miss the mark. There's gonna be confusion and disillusionment and misunderstandings. But if I can understand that in the same breath that I say, I know Rich, I know the way he thinks, I know why he does things, I know that we've walked together for two decades now, in the same breath I can say, there's so much about him that I'm still getting to know. That's just the truth of relationship. That the more you get to know someone, you learn why they do what they do why they think the way they think, experiences that they've had that have marked them and shaped them, the dreams in their heart, new dreams that are being dropped in their heart as you walk the journey together. This is not just some clear-cut understanding of your spouse. No, friends, marriage is not science. Marriage is art. Marriage is art. Like I was at my friend's house on Friday night and she was showing her, me her brand new home and it's beautiful. She showed me all the different rooms and at the very last part of the tour of the house, she took me to her dining room and there was this huge canvas and it was beautiful. And it really drew me in from the minute I saw it. And she said, Don Shree, this is my favorite piece in my entire house. I had so much fun building the home, but when we had this piece commissioned, this is my favorite thing in the house because it was made for us. She started to explain what the canvas meant. She started to explain that it told the story of their marriage. And there were so many things hidden, layers upon layers. How many know great art has layers to its meaning? Like it's layered in there. You don't see it upon first glance. She said, all these colors represent the different seasons of our marriage. And these two dots represent our miracle babies that were seated in that season. And scripture was woven in and their initials were woven in and the shapes all meant different things that I would have never known had she not revealed it to me. Inch by inch, there was new meaning and there was a new message because as I studied, I learned it. And the same can be said for marriage. Marriage is something that you learn more about as you experience it, as you study it, as you realize that it is a mystery and it is a miracle. After all, God says that we are a new creation. This is, this is a miracle that two people that are whole would come together to make something completely new that two become one. You say, Don Street, that's math that doesn't make sense. I was missing my husband and then he came into my life and he completed me. We're not talking completion. Marriage is not about completion. Your spouse 
can never completely you. No, you're completed the moment you surrender your life to Jesus. You're surrendered the moment you open up your heart to him. You have that shalom, peace within your spirit, nothing missing, nothing broken. And then two whole people come together Mm. in a miracle. And they don't make two. They now make one. Mm. They are a brand new creation. And throughout history, different theologians and philosophers, they've tried to discover and to just make it so clear what marriage is about. But only God can reveal it. Even as far, the Anglican reformers said that marriage, the point of marriage is for procreation, is to avoid sexual temptation, and is to combat loneliness. And while marriage is that, how many of you know marriage is so much more than that? Like marriage is so much deeper than just procreation. Marriage is so much deeper than us just avoiding sexual temptation. Marriage is so much deeper than us just trying to combat loneliness. But the only way we'll discover the layers is not by being put off by the mystery, but by being drawn into the mystery. I'm curious, I'm learning, I'm leaning in, and I'm being changed. The wholeness of who I was before this marriage is not the wholeness of who I am as I now participate in this marriage. It's a beautiful mystery. It's a beautiful miracle, and it's a brand new creation. Yeah, and I always love teaching couples because we live in this Jerry Maguire society that you complete me. And it sounds nice, but it's just really bad theology because it makes people feel that are not married, that they're not complete. But that's not true. You're whole in Jesus. When you get married, it's new creation, not completion. Fascinating to learn. It's mysterious. It's miraculous. Some of you dudes, like we look at the girl you got, we're like, yo, there is a God somewhere. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about every couple that's been joined together by God, that's a miracle at play. How do we get this? We get this from our text, Genesis chapter two. The very first marriage we see in the very beginning is the Garden of Eden. That Adam, he was there in the garden. It's fascinating because all of the animal kingdom and man was formed from the dirt. And then Adam, as he's doing his work, God says, Adam needs a helper. Now, it's very important that we stop right there because we hear that word and many of us, we don't have the right connotation. And so we think that means that women are on the planet to simply be a helper, that they're less than. Well, if you actually study the Bible, what you learn is that that word helper is the same word used in the book of Psalms when it talks about God towards Israel. And as you break it down, what it means is that God corresponds and God is connected to Israel. So it is with your spouse that you correspond and you are connected Women are not lesser than men. They're there to correspond and to be connected. I know this is not popular, but it's important to say. Men are superior to women at being men. And women, I got some of y'all right there. Some of y'all about left the church. And women are superior to men at being women. What am I trying to get at? I'm trying to get at that we are not to compete We're not to compare. We are meant to collaborate. We are meant to work together. We're meant to correspond and be connected because we've got a job to do. The scripture says that God, he, he puts this man to sleep and out of his body, from his rib, he forms a woman. I mean, this is profound. This is miraculous. Just the idea that that woman was taken from man and then when you come to marriage, man goes inside a woman. It's called sexual intimacy. It is this profound mystery taking place. 
And the scripture says that man is supposed to leave his mother and father and the two become one. That's what Don Shree's talking about. And that is like so crazy, so crazy that this miracle has taken place that it's a brand new creation that male and female, let us, the scripture says, let us create man in our image. And he created the male and female, meaning that there's a masculine side to God apparently and there's a feminine side to God. And when we come together in marriage, not just in sexual activity, but when we come together in marriage, we are truly representing and showcasing the Trinity, the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in a way that has never, ever occurred until we stepped into marriage. Friends, it's a miracle and it's profound and it's not something just to brush past. It's powerful. But I say this because some of you who are married I was trying to make this point clear at Somi. I don't know if it all the way landed all the way, but those of us that are married, it's uncomfortable to say it right now, but if we're being honest, nobody can hurt me more than Don Cherie. And I bet if she was being honest today, she would say nobody's hurt her more in her life than me. Not because I'm bad and because she's mad. It's because she's me and I'm her. When I criticize Don Cherie, I'm criticizing me. This is powerful because people, they miss this. They don't realize the profound mystery that's taking place. That's why I think it's so silly. I can see the immaturity in a marriage as soon as somebody who's married criticizes their spouse in front of other people. Are you crazy? I'm not, you're, you're gonna only hear me bless. This is, my other, this is my other half. This is my other half. And here's what happens. It's actually quite a gift that God's given me, Don Cherie, because when I was single, you know, when I was single, I would have thoughts about my weaknesses or my issues, but I could just run away and go to the mall or go work out. I wouldn't have to confront them. But now, me is always confronting me. And if you don't recognize the profound mystery at play, you'll resent yourself, which is resenting her, and you'll create distance, not realizing that God has actually brought her into your life to help cleanse you and strengthen you. How I many? There's a difference between hurting someone and harming someone. Hurting and harming are different. I went to the dentist yesterday, don't like going to the dentist, and they went into my mouth and they hurt me. <laughs> but they were cleansing me for a purpose. Harming is when you're just trying to damage or inflict pain out of a selfish reason. See, when I first, before I was married, and there's a lot of people that are about to get married, and you read that passage like two become one. It just sounds like, it just sounds beautiful, but I don't think it like, until you get into the reality of it, like I used to think it was cookie dough and Don Shree's gonna be the chocolate chips. And we come together, now we got a chocolate chip cookie. Everyone likes a chocolate chip cookie more than just cookie dough. But that's a bad analogy because it's more painful than that. It, it, it hurts more than that. It's more like two precious metals. It's more like iron and carbon. And the only way that they can come together is they have to be melted down. And when iron and carbon are melted down and they come together, guess what they form? They form something brand new, it's called steel. And steel is stronger than both, but they fill in the gaps and they become a brand new metal. Am I preaching to anyone today? If you don't understand the profound mystery, you will run away when the relationship hurts. I want to let you know, it hurts to have your ego melted. You ought to know it hurts to live an accountable life. 
It hurts when your opinion has to go through compromise and I have to change my preference because it's not just me anymore, it's both of us. But this hurting is not harming me, this hurting is cleansing me, it's making me stronger, not weaker, it's making me better and not worse. Somebody give God some praise. I just, come on. You gotta get that. This is a miraculous mystery at play. And the great gift that God's given us, we will resent one another if we don't recognize there's something more at play here. You are me and I am you. We're a brand new creation. And that's what motivates my marriage. It is. God's mystery. It pulls us in. It's an invitation. But it's not just God's mystery that's motivating our marriage. Secondly, it's God's message. Mm. God's message that is motivating our marriage. And you can look to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. Again, we keep referencing this, but it's very important to understand the complexity of the layers of what is being stated about this thing called marriage. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. There you have it. But I am talking about Christ and the church. See, there's the message. There, loud and clear, is the message of your marriage. That the mystery is profound, yes, but the message, oh, the message of your marriage is God, the creator's favorite illustration for the good news and the gospel of Jesus. That God again and again likens the message of salvation of Jesus the bridegroom and his church to that of a man and woman being married. How holy. How profound, how deep that the message of your marriage is heralding the good news without even a word. And how many of you know, if that's God's favorite illustration for the gospel, how much more so will the enemy attack it? How much more so does the enemy try to divide? I mean, we see the serpent show up on the scene in Genesis, and he does not show up until after the wedding. After the wedding takes place, that's when he shows up to to divide, to destroy. And our lives, we have to understand that there is an attack against our marriages. Marriage turns out to be harder than you think because the enemy hates it so much more than you know. Yeah. And that's a revelation and an awakening that we all need to come to. Why? Because throughout the word of God, God's message of the gospel, how many of you know this book is one message? It's the message of Jesus. It's the message of reconciliation. It's the message of hope that is found through the life and the resurrection of Jesus. But from the beginning of this book to the end, God chooses to parallel the good news with that of a marriage. Some of these verses, again, we'll reiterate them. Genesis chapter one. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Genesis chapter two. That's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife and they become flesh. And then you follow throughout the scriptures all the way to the last book in the book of Revelation. Revelation 21, one of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of the last seven plagues came and said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Revelation 22, the spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, let the one who's thirsty come, let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. A marriage between a man and a woman 
is communicating the message of Jesus. Say, how so, Dontree? That seems a little deep. Yeah. I think all of us have been underestimating the depth of what God created when you stepped into a covenant with the one that you love and invited God to be the sinner. It's deep. It's layered. You don't get the full meaning just by looking at face value. You got to look deeper. You got to look to God's word. The message of your marriage is the message of Jesus. After all, Jesus is the bridegroom. He is the groom who first pursues. He pursued us before we even knew about his love. We couldn't deserve his love. We couldn't achieve it. He always has and always will pursue us. We'll talk about it in a few more weeks, but I'm so grateful for the men out there that decide to pursue the women in their life. It takes a strong man who doesn't just pursue on one side of the marriage altar, but decides to pursue. Rich, he, we wouldn't even be married if he didn't pursue me. Like he pursued. That's the truth. He pursued. He pursued. We were long distance. I did pursue this. I had to call her for three months straight. She, wouldn't, she didn't believe in calling. She wouldn't even call me back. It was really strange. I'm like, I thought we were like in a relationship. She's like, no, you got to call it me. It worked. You got to call me. You got to. It worked, babe. You're but the savage. truth is, is that as much as he. I'm kidding. I love you. I'm just kidding. I love you too. This is how we flirt, by the way. Session three, name calling and how it really turns your partner on. No, as much as he pursued me though, before we got married, as much as that made a difference in creating our marriage, he still pursues. He's often the first one to pursue having a conversation. He's often the very first one to forgive. He's still pursuing, but why can he pursue? Because Jesus pursues us. He has the example. Why are we still learning how to pursue? Because we're following and learning from the example daily of Jesus. Jesus didn't just pursue, he sacrificed. Marriage is sacrifice. Just like we lay our life down and we find a new life in Jesus, friends, when two become one, we lay aside so much of what our preferences are and standing our ground in stubbornness. And now we're a new creation and there's sacrifice and there's service to that other person. It's not about us just being happy. It's about speaking life and serving and sacrificing the other person. But Jesus didn't just sacrifice. How many of you know the reason he was able to pursue, the reason why he was able to sacrifice even his very life is because he loved. And friends, that love, that love goes first. Love is not earned. You got to get your order straight. If we're setting the foundation, let's follow the example of our God. God's son, the son that you woke up to in sunny Miami, we read in the word that it shines on the just and the unjust. He does not differentiate. He shows love and mercy when we don't deserve it. And so did Jesus. And if you want a healthy, thriving marriage, friends, you can't just wait for them to prove that they are worthy of your love. That's no way to live in a marriage. That's no way to raise children either. You gotta pour out love and know that that love is sowing seeds for that person to grow into who they are called to be. The message of Jesus is this beautiful message called reconciliation. And isn't that the message of every marriage? <laughs> oh, I'm not just talking about the big moments of reconciliation while those are game changers and crossroads that make impact on generations. I'm talking about the day-to-day reconciliation. 
I'm talking about coming back to the table with faith and love and honor and respect. This is what we learn from the message of Jesus. And this is what we read in Ephesians chapter two, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. That scripture is talking about the Jew and the Gentile. In that day, seemingly impossible for them to walk in unity and honor and respect with one heart and one vision. But the same goes for two people who become one through the covenant of marriage. He tears down the wall that separates us. Again and again, he joins our heart through the grace and the blessing that rests on the covenant of our union. And he gives us the choice to reconcile. The choice to reconcile. Reconcile might sound like a really Christianese word, but man, it has a daily power to reconcile, to come back to the table, to open up your heart to forgiveness. That Hebrew word is kafar. It means to cover, to atone, or to condone, to placate, or to cancel. It's to forgive, to make amends, to come back to the table where we're choosing to follow the example of Jesus. You wanna know what reconciliation is? It's pursuing, choosing to pursue again, choosing to believe the best, choosing to initiate. You know what reconciliation is? It's sacrifice, to absorb the pain that the other person has caused you, to choose to forgive. You know what reconciliation is? Serving. You know what reconciliation is? It's love. Let love be the power within you that allows you to reconcile again and again. Oh, this is the message of God. Two people choosing to reconcile, not just in the big blow-ups, but daily. I choose to reconcile daily. You know, I feel like in culture today, that phrase, sticking it out, has like a really bad connotation. Like, oh, they're sticking it out. I don't know if they're gonna make it. They're just sticking in it. And the world would say, why are you sticking it out? Go find something that works for you. Go find something that lights you up. Go find something that just suits the person that you've grown to become. But no, friends, sticking it out, oh, that, there's beauty and strength in that. After all, don't we know that God, he develops perseverance in us? And don't we know that as we choose to stick it out, that in any moment reconciliation could occur and something beautiful could ignite as we trust God in the mystery, with the message. Don't discount the season that you're in. Even by sticking it out, God's message can be told through your story. He's not done yet. He believes in your marriage and he created it. So beautiful. The motivation of marriage has to go so much deeper because if you're not careful, you're gonna try to go on this long distance road trip and find yourself breaking down because your transportation isn't enough. You don't have a big enough why. And our why is that God's, God's mystery, this is miraculous. Makes me appreciate my marriage so much more when I go, wow. I desire to see miracles, but whether or not I ever see signs and wonders, every single day with this person is a miracle. God, I'm grateful. It makes you appreciate your marriage in a brand new way. There's a message to my marriage. 
I don't know about you, but like, I wanna see people who are far from God come close to God. But what if I told you that maybe the greatest evangelism tool that God has given you is your marriage? That people would say, how on earth, how are you sticking to that? How are you still doing this? It's because we actually think that our marriage is a message of a loving God who loves his people. This last idea of what's motivating our marriage is that, well, God has a master plan. I love that Genesis 2 passage. That's where this content's coming from. It's Adam's put to sleep and from his body, his rib is taken and he forms a woman. The scripture says when Adam awakes, it's so good. He's like, man, flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. I'm gonna call her, whoa, man. And anyone who's ever been married, you gotta go back to that whoa, man moment. This woman, whoa, man. Who is this? She's a part of me. I'm drawn to her. I'm called to her. You see that last little phrase in our text today? And they were naked and felt no shame. See, this is God's plan for our marriages, that you would have a partner. When we say this idea of naked and no shame, it's an illustration. It's a metaphor. I can see someone walking out here like, all right, from here on out, no more clothes in the house. That, that's not, no. <laughs> There's some dude who's like, I love this church. Um, I could just see it. it. It's a metaphor of real intimacy. Not hiding, not covering. There's real vulnerability. You see the real me, intimacy. Into me, see. But what happened? When humanity sinned, what was the first response to their sin? Shame set in. And what does shame always make us do? Cover up, hide. What was God's master plan? God's master plan was that he loves you so much. So he sent his son Jesus on a rescue mission to come and die on a cruel cross for you and for me, that he would shed his blood because his blood would be the thing that would cleanse us, cover us, and cancel our sin. So that, why? So that we could be reconciled to God, not through ourselves, but through Jesus. See, the master plan of God is that he hasn't given you a spouse to simply make you happy. He's given you a marriage to make you holy. And I could never become holy on my own. Holiness is not about going to church enough. It's not about praying enough. It's not about going to the growth track three times because it didn't work the first two times. Holiness is a work of God's grace, not a work of our flesh. God made us holy through Jesus. Why? Because now that we're holy in God's sight, now we can have real relationship. We can be honest with God. In our marriages, when we love each other and we serve each other, it's not that we're not gonna be happy. It's not that we're not gonna bring each other pleasure. It's just not a good enough reason to get married. We have to realize that God brought us together to make us holier. I have to give the caveat statement because if we're not careful. Someone's gonna walk out of here. I'm not saying my job is to make Don Shree holy. Please don't miss that. She doesn't walk around the house going, Pastor Rich, what would you like for breakfast this morning? <laughs> That's never happened ever. She doesn't make me holy and I don't make her holy. No, we serve each other. We love each other. In fact, my goal is to make her happy. And as I make it my goal to make her happy, the byproduct is she becomes holy. She becomes holy. I like what Tim Keller said. He said, men, you'll never be a good groom to your wife unless you first are a good bride to Jesus. That's bars right there, y'all. I'm not gonna make her holy. 
God's gonna make us holy as we serve and love each other. In our first service, Don and Jamila were there on the front row. I'm so happy for this couple. They're getting engaged. They're gonna be married later this year. But I said to Don this past week, I said, yo, Don, just so you know, just so you know, bro, the moment you get married to Jamila, that is the starting point of God chipping away selfishness and pride. That's you becoming a man of God. You're about to get to be Jesus in a real relationship. And how does that look for a man to lay down his life? Well, Jesus died for his bride and so it will have to be with Dawn. And so it is with me. I said, Dawn, that's just the start. Because then one day if God wills it, and I'm speaking and prophesying over them, seven children, <laughs> one by one, it chips away more and more of your selfishness and more and more of your pride. But the result is that you come out like pure gold. You become holier. I said, Don, yo, you gotta know the family photos. The last person anyone's gonna look at is you, bro. <laughs> if your eyes are closed, if you're not smiling, we don't care. <laughs> How's your wife look? How do those kids look? And guess what? That's exactly how it's supposed to be. A man of God getting to serve and love his bride. It's the master plan to make us holy. And so I know it goes against culture. I know it goes against the worldview of society. But if you want a great marriage, you get there with God. Because naked and no shame requires trust. And maybe right now today you're here in this room and you're like, yo, you don't know how bad my marriage is. And we'll talk in a couple of weeks around divorce. We're gonna talk a couple of weeks around affairs and cheating. There are biblical grounds at moments where I would never recommend anyone to stay in a marriage that's abuse, sexual infidelity. There are biblical grounds for that. But I'm trying to get you a bigger revelation that naked and no shame, the master plan of real intimacy, it doesn't happen over a short period of time. No, it actually happens the longer we go on this journey, we become holier and we begin to trust and love each other in a deeper, more profound way. We're here to tell you, we don't have a perfect marriage. If you're like, Rich, what's the secret? It, it's, it's God. We love our marriage. And we're here to tell you, for some of you that are going through a rough patch or some of you that are, are about to get started, it gets better with time. It gets better with time. But let God drive your marriage. Don't make your spouse be the motivation. Let God be the motivation. Because when God's the motivation, it's a miraculous mystery. When God's the motivation, yo, just our relationship is a testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there is a master plan at work that we could stand before God naked and no shame, fully reconciled, that we too could grow together in this deep, intimate relationship, that we can bring the Garden of Eden back to earth right now. The, hey girl, we're naked and no shame. You know me and I know you and together we walk in harmony. We walk in harmony. And I just felt led today, it's a little bit different, but I wanna do two things as we come to a close. In a moment, um, I wanna make an invitation for some people that are far from God. I know we're talking about marriage, but Don Shree just showed it to us. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is bookended with two weddings, Adam and Eve, and then Jesus, the great groom who's coming back for his church, the bride. And I wanna give people a moment, just in just a moment, to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Here's what I've learned. I've learned that it's not hard to fall in love with Jesus, but some of us, we're having a hard time living with Jesus. 
In fact, Vu, if we're not careful, like this is a really great curated experience. People come and we put on our Sunday best and we smile when you walk in the door. And so people every week, hundreds of people every week surrender their life to Jesus. They fall in love with Jesus. But we're not trying to date Jesus. We're trying to get married to Jesus. We're not trying to have a one night stand with Jesus. We're trying to go the distance with Jesus. We're not just about falling in love. We want to live in harmony with him. Right. We're gonna give people an opportunity today to do that. But I felt very led just on the kickoff of this collection, that if you're here with your spouse today, would you just bow your head, all of us around the room, and would you just grab your your spouse by the hand, everyone, just for a moment. I just felt so led to pray for marriages in the room, marriages online, people watching on YouTube, that we just start this collection. Last year, we took five weeks talking just about single and secure. I just felt led this year that we're gonna talk about healthy relationships, how to pick the right people, how to go on the journey together, how to safeguard our marriages, how to forgive. I believe there's gonna be deep healing that takes place over the next six weeks. That redemption and reconciliation is gonna hit some homes. But before we get there, let's just take a moment. God, I thank you for every couple in this room. Lord, as they're holding hands, God, some, it's been a long time since they've held hands. Lord, I, I just pray, God, as they, as they hold hands today, Lord, that we'd remember what Jesus said that what God has united, let no man separate. Lord, I just pray life. I pray blessing over every marriage at Voo Church. Lord, we're believing that for the next six weeks or so that you're gonna do some incredible things. Lord, for the marriages that are going good, God, we believe that over the next six weeks, they're gonna become great. God, for the marriages that are just hanging by a thread, Lord, we believe that you are still a miracle worker. You're the way maker. You are the God who redeems and restores. So Lord, we, we cling to you today. God, I pray protection around these marriages. I pray health around these marriages. I pray provision around these marriages. Lord, we look to Ecclesiastes that says two are better than one. Pity the man who falls and has no one to pick him up. Lord, we thank you for our partner. I just pray, Lord, even as I'm, as I'm, as I'm speaking right now, that, Lord, gratitude would well up for our spouse, Lord. I pray on the drive home from church today, Lord, that there would be a new rekindling, a new flame set ablaze. God, bring back the butterflies. We're not living for butterflies, but Lord, we welcome all the butterflies this collection. God, we believe that you're gonna strengthen. We believe that, God, you're gonna heal, that you're gonna redeem. Lord, we believe that healthy churches are made up of healthy families. So we pray for our kids, that as we raise the next generation, that, Lord, we would be truth-tellers who do so with compassion. God, protect our children. In this day and age, Lord, where there's so much confusion and so many lies, God, it's our aim and our desire that we would be salt and light. Give us wisdom to do so. Counsel us, Holy Spirit. Pray for the men in this room, the women in this room. God, that we'd celebrate our differences, not compete, not compare, but we would collaborate in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. And now with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, this is this beautiful invitation. He loves you. And Don Shree just preached it so beautifully. He's already pursued you. It's not an accident or a coincidence that you're here. He brought you here. And he's already sacrificed for you. He's already died up on that cross to bring you out of hiding. And he so loves you. That's what the scripture says. He so loves you. I love that, that extra just word. It's not, he just doesn't just love you. He so 
loves you. He's not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. Don't let a preacher or a church mess any of that up for you. We take ourselves out of the way and we just let the radical love of God meet you where you are today. In the room, online, wherever you're at, He loves you and He's for you. Let Him wash you, let Him cleanse you. This is the right place, this is the right time. Give Him your heart, surrender. He's the solid rock, He's the firm foundation that you should build your life on. He's the one who completes you, He's the one who satisfies you. He's the one who carries you. He loves you. And he calls you out of hiding, just like he did to Adam and Eve. Where are you? We're hiding, God. <laughs> he comes even in our hiding and he finds us. If that's you today, I want to repent. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Before we go, just on the count of three, would you just be bold? Lift your hand up high enough and long enough to say, that's me, Rich. I want to give Jesus my life today. If that's you on the count of three, would you be bold? Lift your hand up high enough and long enough. Here we go, ready? One, the Bible says today's the day of salvation. Thank you, God. I'm a message on marriage, people getting saved. Two, don't look at your neighbor. It's not about your neighbor. It's between you and Jesus. Ready? One, two, three. If that's you, lift it up. That's me, Rich. That's me. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Come on, all over this room, from the balcony to this ground floor, can we just stand to our feet? Can we just stand to our feet and... Can we just stay in a posture of worship? God's doing something in people's lives. And if you're comfortable as you're standing, would you just lift both your hands towards heaven? Just posture yourself in a moment to receive, because that's what salvation is. We're not striving, we're receiving His forgiveness. We're receiving His love. It changes us. We're gonna pray this prayer out loud together. And then I just want the team to sing this little song. It just says, this is the right place. I think it's a prophetic song for so many in the room today that God's meeting your needs and he's ministering to you. So come on church, let's lift our hands, let's lift our voice. Say, dear Jesus, today I repent. I change my mind. I wanna follow you. I believe you are a good God who's pursued me and who's forgiven me. So I receive all of your forgiveness. Wash me, cleanse me. I come out of hiding. Today I declare, I'm a follower of you. I'm a believer. You are my Lord and you are my Savior. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name. Come on, everybody said. Come on, 12 p.m., lift your hands. Come lift your voice. Thank you for listening to today's message. At VU, we believe we weren't meant to do life alone. We've been created with a unique purpose and designed to live in relationship with Jesus. If you've never surrendered your life to Him, we want to create an opportunity for you to do so today. If you want to say yes to Jesus, would you pray this with me? Dear Jesus, come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I trust you with my past. I ask that you guide me in my present and I even place my future in your hands. I'm yours, Lord, now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made the decision to follow Jesus today, we wanna partner with you in the next steps of your faith journey. Go to voochurch.com online. We love you.